0: Welcome to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA Volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA on the Go. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to be in conversation today with the wonderful Joan Alsher. Joan is an author, a CASA advocate, as well as a powerful advocate for the mission of CASA. So Joan, thank you so much for being here. Um, Along with the extraordinary passion and care and creativity and the depth of advocacy experience that you bring to your role as a CASA, you also bring your own life experience as a child abuse survivor and someone who experienced foster care yourself in childhood. Could you talk about what led you to become a CASA?
1: Sure. First, uh, I want to say thank you for, for having me. Um, anything for the Casa mission, so I'm glad to be here today. Uh, I, I yeah, I, I had uh, I had some lived lived experiences of childhood abuse and uh, a, a short stint in foster care when I was a teenager. But uh, I'm probably uh, older than you are, and I've been around a while. But I I never heard of court appointed special advocates uh, my entire life, so I, I obviously didn't have one uh, as a child in foster care, and and it was really my husband who uh, just always had his eye out uh, in the community about um, uh, groups in need. And so he signed up to be an advocate and then mentioned it to me and and, uh, didn't think that with um, my former uh, trauma that it would be a good fit for me, but oh my gosh, that was exactly what I needed to do. So five years ago, uh, I started exploring uh, Child Advocate San Antonio and immediately went through the training and the process to uh, become an advocate. um, And it felt like a perfect fit because of uh, my experience in in care. And I feel like uh, children that I work with can benefit from some of those lived experiences, but unlike other advocates who come from any walk of life, you don't have to have experienced this to do what we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I agree, like being able to, like having, had some experiences yourself with the system, um, or as a survivor of abuse, like it really just adds, it brings something to it. Um, could you talk about how your own personal experiences have shaped the way that you approach child advocacy?
1: Yeah, of course. So value. Um, I think that I bring value to the children I serve because Every case that I sign up for, I put my sho- my myself in the shoes that the children are in. I think back uh, and reflect a lot on things that um, were failed in, in my situation where uh, I was placed into care with an older brother and I never saw him again. That was it. never saw him alive from the day we were driven away in the back seat of a um, a sedan by social workers or Child Protective Services, whomever it was that that took us away. So, as an advocate, I'm like first and foremost, you know, if I've got a case with a lot of siblings, one of the first things I make a priority is ensuring that those children get to see one another. Sibling visits, it's got to happen. And sometimes the CPS caseworkers can't make it happen fast enough. Um, But I use that experience that I remember um, in that role. Um, Other ones also include uh not even knowing who my, my caseworker was. Like I have very vague memories. So that's obviously that lack of connection back then. And so I really work um, closely with the kids and the families and the folks on the case to ensure that I'm constantly present. So there is an imprinted memory of somebody being there and walking by the child's side. Um, and, and one thing I think that's real important for anybody that have lived experiences is, is to not bring a personal bias into the situation. Um, so although I can look back at things that went wrong for me or went well for me, uh, just because I did not want to be returned home, uh, to an unsafe environment doesn't mean that that's going to be the outcome for every case that I work on. Not at all. I approach every child's case as unique. And if it means reunification or adoption or uh, another placement, um, I I won't put my personal situation
0: in, in that um, decision-making process I appreciate that like perspective and think that's something so important for each of us who are involved in advocating for children and families um, to not bring our own like personal project kind of like our our values based on our own experiences onto others so I really appreciate you and I'm so sorry for that story about um, losing Contact with your brother is just devastating, and I'm um, really grateful to you that you are so committed to protecting the relationships between siblings on the, the cases that you work on. Yeah,
1: you know, I think every advocate, um, from wherever they come from, at whatever stage in their life, if if they enter this role with an open heart for children and can see value in what they can bring to the table. And what I bring to the table are those experiences that the that, that hurts as reminders to always put the child first, to not treat the CASA role as a job. Um, it, it is personal to me. And I hope that folks that do what we do, uh, advocate for children's best interests, uh, see it as a, as a commitment that you cannot just come into lightly and then leave um because it doesn't fit your needs. If you commit to a child or a group of children, uh you need to be constant, you need to be there and I can't quit on a child because I remember being quit on by uh just folks around me when I was when I was in that situation. It it's personal.
0: Yeah. Um and speaking of that like personal connection, you recently published a book that draws from your experience both as a CASA advocate as well as your own life experience with the system. And the book is called Misplaced Childhood, A True Story of Resiliency and Child Advocacy. Could you talk about what you hope readers will take away from the book? Sure. Um, First, I guess I want to say uh,
1: when I became an advocate in 2018. I I just wanted to like absorb all the information I could about how to be the best competent advocate possible for the children. And so I read a lot of books. I I just looked for research everywhere. And the one thing that I couldn't find uh, that just kind of always stuck out in my mind was there wasn't a true advocate experience of the lens of a child in care without an advocate and then that person becomes an advocate and talks about that journey and talks about what it's like to serve children now because they didn't have one. And and so that uh, ultimately became uh, the driving force in writing this book um, really to draw attention to the 391,000 kids that are in foster care And my goal is that uh, I want to spread the mission of CASA so that every child one day will have an advocate by their side uh, because I didn't have one. And and I I have those hurts uh, in the past and and those memories. I I think readers um, can take away um, my passion out out of the story. Uh, It's possible that children um, that have gone through this experience could pick up the book and read it and maybe see purpose in their life and, and not just that the system was just a dark place, a scary place and, and something negative. But I do hope that people are motivated to uh, consider how they can serve children in care. And if, if they're CASAs currently, or uh, even in the past, maybe pick up the book and, and relive my journey to understand how important it is that there are still children going through experiences um, like like mine were. Uh, today, so it, it's a call to action, uh, and, and the the probably the greatest gift to uh, Child Advocates San Antonio that I can I can give, aside from serving as as uh, many children in as many cases as I can, is that I donate uh, all the net profits, uh, the royalties from uh, the sale of the book to Child Advocates San Antonio. There's many authors out there that write books and like oh we'll give ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent. No, I give it all back to Child Advocates San Antonio. I believe that strongly in the mission. Um, and, and I'm grateful for their support um, and and just in believing in me and, and trusting in me when I when I get a case and it's difficult. Uh, I've always got somebody that I can, can lean on, but I, I just want to make a difference.
0: Yeah. Joan, I'm curious, and by the way, that's incredible to hear that um, you've written this book and published it and are donating all of those proceeds back to this um, program. It's really amazing to hear. Um, Would you talk a little bit about like what helps you keep going? I'm just like listing absorbing your passion for the mission. And you know, as someone who's been part of CASA for seven or eight years at this point, like it's so wonderful to meet someone who just exudes such um a quality of of joy about the work, even though it is often really heavy. And I would love to hear like, yeah. What helps you kind of like keep going and keep that joy alive for yourself as an advocate? Well, um, maybe it's a competition
1: with my husband <laughs> since he's an advocate too. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I, I love being able to uh, impact a child's life. Um, I, I, I'm a strong believer that one person, any person, can make a difference, no matter how small. Uh, Friends will say, wow, well, you know, that CASA stuff sounds really difficult. I could never do that. It's like, oh, believe me, let me tell you a hundred different ways you can help and make a difference. Because I didn't have a, a, a CASA uh, by my side as a child, you know, a little kid, third grade, eight years old or whatever. I used to fantasize about the TV shows I would watch on TV. You know, The, the Perfect Parents, the, the Brady Bunch. Um Uh, The Waltons, Eight is Enough. And and I would dream that I would have those perfect parents someday. And I never got those parents. But I think because I looked to characters uh, on TV, fictional, I I later just applied that to people that maybe gave me a little attention in school. Maybe a teacher or a neighbor or somebody paid a little attention to me. And then I kind of said, wait a second, they're kind of like that person that I dream about on TV. And so I turned it into this self-drive, this goal to excel and survive. Uh, And now as an advocate, I think that if I can work with a child and and be a constant presence in their life and maybe be that role model that they're thinking about, uh, it might give them the the insight to uh, go forward with their dreams and ambitions. Because there's so many children are, enter care and they're angry. They lose everything. They lose friends, family, uh, pets, uh, stuffed animals. They, they lose everything in their life and they lose control. But if I can um, be there and be a steady presence, look to them, speak with them, listen to them, and advocate for them and, and empower them to find their voice, uh, I feel like society is going to benefit Um, and so I, I do that because people kind of looked to me and gave me a chance. Um, and, and I just grasped it. Uh, but we have, to, we have to be able to pull ourselves out with some resiliency. Uh, and, and fortunately for me, I had um, a newfound faith in God and, and then uh, discovered really that my purpose was um, not what happened to me, not dwelling on that, but using those experiences for good. And that's something I remind the kids of every day you know, don't, don't worry about the past, look to the future. You know, you're going to find your way and you're going to look back on these experiences one day and realize how strong you really were. And I think they need wow. to be reminded of that daily. Unfortunately, fortunately I was reminded. Um,
0: wow. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I love everything you're saying about um, kind of the the power of of the one relationship like that, that CASAs can bring to a child's life and wow, just all that, that can open up that kind of like loving presence, that encouragement, um, that affirmation, willingness to like, listen and really see them. Um, And then also, yeah. I'm sorry. I was gonna say it's, it's scary to enter foster care. You know, you, you, you leave
1: everything behind and, you might change caseworkers, you may change placements, schools, friends, uh, communities. Uh, but if that CASA is there, just constantly calling and checking on you or visiting you, you still feel like there's hope that somebody does care. Um, and, and because I work with teenagers, you know, they may reject some of that at first. But I, I keep at it. Um, you can't personalize it and say, oh, they they just, you know, don't want to hear this. They're absorbing it. it. It's in the back of their mind. I was that angry kid at one time, but uh, Casas just have to uh, just continue to push forward and trudge through the dirt with these children. I call it um, swimming in peanut butter. Uh, you know, if you can imagine the the muck uh, that is bogging these children down, um, so Casa uh, can be the jelly, you know, and once you got peanut butter and jelly together, well, wow, that's magical. <laughs> But that's, that's a, uh, basically what I see these kids doing. You know, if you, if you know these kids are just swimming in peanut butter all by themselves, be the jelly, jump in with them and, and just be there for them. Be the constant presence because uh, you will make a difference in that person's life. Might not come right away. Five years, they'll come looking for you and come calling. Um, here, here I am 40 years later, having published this book, and I went back to my hometown in Buffalo, New York and found uh, the teacher that made the most impact in my life uh, and met with her and had lunch, and she just lamented about how she knew I was troubled and knew I needed help and uh, felt that she didn't do enough for me. And I said, oh, my gosh, you you did so much for me. You just paid attention to me. You know, you talked to me. Um, she guided me and mentored me without even really knowing it. And, and that's the impact that we can have today with children. And um, they, they'll, they'll realize it and look for you later to thank you.
0: I'm like, I just, I'm like hearing like relationships matter, like relationships can be so life-giving and I think ties back to what you're saying about like resiliency, like just how much we all need relationships to thrive and um, talking about like the power of the relationships that CASAs can bring to the lives of children and youth in foster care. I think of it as like one string of light, you know, kind of like connecting to them. And then we can also Play such a critical role in facilitating greater connectedness for that child, um, like reconnecting or strengthening connections with their own network of, you know, hopefully permanent, lifelong supportive relationships so that it's like more and more strings of light, like connecting.
1: The the need to belong and be connected is probably the single most important um, basic need or that need for love. Uh, Each CASA can bring that to a child or a family in a different way. Never uh, consider this uh, just a a case or a cause number or a manila folder. These these children are um, human lives that uh, need uh, very authentic relationships. Uh, They're in a difficult place. They're in the worst battle of their lives. We're on the front lines with them and and they're crying out, um, maybe with some bad behaviors or some um, difficult situations, but it's the trauma manifesting and, and we are... The critical link in, in bringing them back down to the surface level and identifying what their strengths are and how they can meet um, their needs as well as uh, being a receiver of kindness. Uh, it, it's easy as a child who's been neglected or abused or removed from home, even a home that they loved and, and they didn't really see that they needed to be removed because many children feel that. I, I beg to be removed. But many of the children I work with never wanted to be removed. So they need to be able to learn how to receive help and kindness and, and a willingness to be there uh with them. Uh it, it's it's all organic, you know. And I, I think uh for me it's it's faith based that that God showed me this way, but not everybody, you know, has that. Uh higher power. Um, and, and i work with children from all various walks of life and religions. Um, but, but that's what I find to balance me. And you'd asked earlier, I meant to say this, you know, how do I, how do I keep doing this? I got a great supervisor. CASA has got to lean on their supervisors. That, that is the person that is going to keep you stable uh, (laughs) and not blowing up when, um, things are going difficult with a case or you know, another placement fails or whatnot. And, and something else I bring to the table uh, through, through my story and my book, I talk about my dad and some of his uh, DIY uh, and sweat equity that he put into our house. I never thought that a monster like him could instill or imprint a skill or a drive in me to become a DIY expert. So now I create um, dressers. I rehab dressers. And I create one-of-a-kind uh, artworks um, on these dressers for these children that are entering their forever homes. And I saw a need that the children needed furnitures and things going, you know, whether they're going home or going to an adopt- adoption or going to a family member. And so they they each get an individualized dresser, whether it's uh, Minecraft, Spider-Man, Star Wars, the San Antonio Spurs, whatever they ask for. If they're going to a forever home, I'm going to make that work. And I'm working on my 40th right now. Uh, but that is healing and cathartic for me to do that too it's I, I always tell my supervisor when she's worried like hey you've got you know eight children right now you know how do you balance life and i'm like I paint that's my art therapy and uh uh I find um creativity uh just drives me forward with working with more youth because it just it's so rewarding
0: wow yeah and I got to see a video of a dresser that you made and it was like just so beautiful and so yeah so cool how you
1: work with kids um I I love it I I don't even remember the day that I fell into doing that I think maybe one of my youth uh was um going into independent living and and needed something he was working in a uh uh kind of a mechanic program in a dual enrolled in in a college program that was kind of mechanic based so just got this little dresser and painted it red and put some, um, stainless on it and made it look like a uh, craftsman toolbox. And he loved it. It was perfect. He, he, uh, he's moved several times and it moves with him. And, um, and then I just saw a need for, for other folks. And, and I don't often know the children that get these works of art. I, I just hear from a supervisor or another CASA say, Hey, you know, I've got, uh, You know, a nineteen-year-old who um, aged out and and adopted a couple uh, younger siblings, and she would really like, you know, something. Uh, And I'm like, all right. (laughs) And so I, armed with just a little information about these kids, um, I put that to work. And then I know that um, it's healing still for me for some of the stress that we go through as advocates, um, but also knowing that the joy that the child's going to have when they receive that uh, that you know, whoever, whatever advocate delivers it.
0: Yeah, something that I wanted, something I'm just thinking of listening to the words you're using, Joan, is like you have talked about kindness and the importance of kindness to you in this work. And I really appreciate that. And I'm just thinking about how, you know, in pre-service training, we talk a lot about being, um, you know, trauma-informed and we talk about being culturally competent and, and many things that are crucial. But I don't think we talk much about practicing kindness, and I'm just really loving that you're bringing that and naming that, and 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 not just for—I mean—for the children and youth, absolutely, and not just for them, for also for the people um, that are important to them in their lives beyond their casa. I think is like also like a beautiful um a needed place for for us to bring kindness into the equation in a system and in a, a just social, you know, environment where a lot of times um the families who get involved with the CPS system aren't experiencing a lot of kindness from from any direction so
1: yeah, these families, they're, um, they're hurting, uh, you know, the, just the pandemic and, and the increase in, in goods, uh, food in the stores, uh, rent, uh, having a stable job, uh, all that. And then whatever else is going on, whether it's some generational defunct, destabilizing behavior that causes the family to become, uh, interacting with, with CPS, uh, there's so many families just on the edge. And if we can show them kindness, uh, I, I mean, it's it's going to go a long way in modeling the future of our community. Um, we don't want these families to feel victimized um, by the system. Uh, you know, I, I feel like even the ones that have made some really serious mistakes, like, for instance, I, I think... Um, there's a lot of drug use, uh, that, that, um, impacts children and leads to them going into care. Not all these families are, are bad parents, um, because of drug use. Some had some really horrible things happen to them. And, uh, you know, just getting to know these parents as humans when I'm working with them and listening to their story and the <laughs> takeaway on one case I once worked was, wow, um, I wonder if I had those experiences, if I couldn't have also fallen into, you know, drugs or drug use or, you know, something like that. I mean, I can almost see any one of us at any time becoming one of these parents and losing their children because of some bad mistakes uh, and bad circumstances. So um, they they deserve kindness too. Uh, and, and, and it can even be kindness in termination. Um, I've had that happen too. You know, you work with a family, but you just know they're they're just not doing their services and they're really struggling and they're not ready to be reunified. And unfortunately, you know, before the year is up, the case is terminated. But uh I talk about a, a case where several years later I get in touch with one of these parents. And uh, wow, well, you know, rehabbed and uh drug-free and healthy and uh doing great and employed. And um, that parent becomes a placement for one of the children that I still, ha- one of the children that I still have in care. Um, and it was kindness with that person. You know, they, they they probably hated me at the time they were terminated, probably hated CPS, probably hated everybody that was involved. Um, but I reached back out a couple of years ago, hearing through the community that this person was healed. And uh, sure enough, they were. And, and I was grateful that um, I could be that voice for that child and go back to the caseworker and, and go back to the court and make some recommendations for the, the department to start looking at contacting this parent again and, and do a reunification several years later after a termination. Um, it's, it's just amazing what the human spirit
0: can can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what you're describing is so core to the CASA mission, to kind of like the CASA value system, which is that like we believe that even when people have made um, mistakes or choices that resulted in serious harm to their children that they absolute that they are not defined by those choices um, that that they absolutely can change um, if they want to with the you know necessary support. In place uh, that I think everyone deserves. (laughs) I think everyone deserves the support necessary um, to to become a a healthy and safe parent if if they're ready. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, Yeah, and I think you know the more we're able to build trust with with children and youth, then we can be a safe you know place for them to um, not only have that relationship with us, but also to be a safe person where they can share their concerns, um, share, you know, if there are people in their life that they miss, maybe people we're not even aware of that might be someone that um, like I'm thinking of that teacher that you're, you know, had this connection to. Um, and just folks who might, you know, be someone that, that a youth might want phone calls with, there might even be someone that would be helpful to have at the next family meeting or something like that. And so the more we can build those those trust, you know, trusting, caring relationships um, with youth, maybe even using CFE tools to learn about the people that are important to them. And the same with parents as we're building those, you know, caring, trusting relationships that are also, you know, um, grounded in like, our role as the advocate for the child's best interests and to learn about, you know, who else loves this child and um, who else could maybe support you as you're, you know, hopefully working those services and, and working towards becoming, you know, uh, being able to meet the minimum sufficient level of care and all of that. Yeah, I
1: I never imagined, uh, you know, going back over four years ago when, when I entered care in, in 1983 that my life would be a life of purpose and serving children like I once was uh, because of some of the things that had happened to me and some of the inadequacies and some of the losses. Uh, strong testament to the program here in San Antonio and their leadership. And in uh, Angie White, our CEO and president, saying one day to me, you're going to write a book about your story. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. That was never on my radar. Uh, but if I can use my experiences and share a unique journey from trauma to triumph and finding purpose through faith and then using that those past experiences and, and using um, good qualities of um, the kindness and compassion, um, the willingness to be present and constant for another child, Use all those tools in serving them. Uh, I believe it will change lives, um, and I hope that people can can draw upon that purpose and that passion in my in my story, and and see how uh, we are impacting these children. Um, I wish I had a Casa, and I, I believe that uh, I will be doing this uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, in order to ensure that one day that dream is realized that every child in care has a CASA or gal gal advocate to walk by their side and and help them and model resiliency so that they one day can also be productive and have purpose in life.
0: Amen to all of that, Joan. I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful to just for you as an advocate um, for, you know, showing up for the children uh, and families that you're working with and have been advocating for these last several years. And then also the advocacy that you're doing in the community for CASA. Um yeah, I I share that vision with you of of one day being able to ensure that every child in foster care in Texas, in foster care, period, um, has a dedicated CASA volunteer walking along their side. Um, and so, you know, we we have a long way to go to to get to that goal. We know volunteerism has gone down um, since the pandemic and, and that's impacted CASA as well. And so just want to say, you know, for everyone listening to this episode uh, who is a CASA volunteer already, thank you. And I'm so grateful for you. And if you know someone in your community or in your circles who, you know, would make a wonderful... CASA advocate, you know, maybe the moment is right to give them that encouraging nudge or even consider giving them a copy of Joan's book, Misplaced Childhood, which really does um, illuminate the CASA difference. So Joan, thank you so, so much. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and wisdom with us.
1: Y'all are doing important work up there in uh, Austin for the entire state. And we appreciate um, the support down here in San Antonio.
0: Thanks, Joan. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CASA on the go. Join us next time for more dynamic continuing education brought to you by Texas CASA.